Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Dave Gugelli. That is Harmon Dial in studio with me. Our technical producer is Grady Sass, and our intern, our new intern, who's a regular at Canucks Army, uh, Lachlan Irvin, whose last name I learned isn't Irvine. I learned that last year, and I remember it every time I say his name. So welcome to Lachlan, uh, who's going to be interning with us for the next month here uh, in a more of a producer role. But he'll still be writing at Canucks Army, I'm told. We'll see uh, how that goes. But I got to tell you that today's episode of Canucks Conversation is brought to you by the wonderful folks over at Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool. Shots on goal. Goals against average and points per game can make or break your week. But don't overlook the new stat, BPMM. That is Wendy's Bacon Portabella Mushroom Melt. Sure, it may not help you win weekly prizes with Wendy's and Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Fantasy, but unlike our predictions, it never disappoints. So try your luck, but don't push it because the Bacon Portabella Mushroom Melt is only back for a limited time. If you miss it, you won't get a second chance, much like me every freaking week in this game. Sign up for Daily Faceoff Survivor Fantasy today, sponsored by Wendy's and the Wendy's app. It's Monday, which means I have to make my picks. I have not made them yet, uh, but I'm going to. And of course, I will tell everybody uh, what my picks end up being because usually I'm out by Wednesday, but it's Monday, which means I'm still in the game. Stop giving yourself that much credit. That's true. (laughs) That's true. But but I mean, what I mean, Harmon, thank you for that, by the way. Um, What I mean is that by the time I, uh, by the time I make my actual pick and like have to read the ad again on Wednesday, Ah, right. Yeah. I'll tell you, though, my pick today is Quinn Hughes over just to get one point. Quinn Hughes needs to get one point, and I'm good. And a lot of people agree with me on that one based on because you can see who else voted for the same one. One of the props that has 0% right now, the Canucks to score two power play goals tonight against the Rangers. Well, here's the thing. You making it to Wednesday in this game is like the Leafs getting out of the first round of the playoffs. It's like, wow, this big occasion, but you've only won one round. There there are a lot more rounds you need to win. I need Quinn Hughes to get a point tonight and we'll be back on Wednesday uh, to talk about it. But before we do any of that, we need to talk about the lotto line and Harmon, you weren't here on Friday. Hopefully you're feeling better by the way, (laughs) but I got to say I was harping on this on Friday and it was me and J Pat in studio. And I said, reunite the lotto line i said it was time it was time to reunite the lotto line rick talkett obviously a um, avid listener of our show said you know this quads guy he's onto something and we saw the lotto line reunited on saturday in new jersey yeah well i i think the reason i got sick on thursday night was watching Ilya mckayev and sam laugh as <laughs> Pedersen's wings seriously it felt like every time that line started to get the puck. The play would just die on the wings. I mean, I can think of a breakout late in the first period of that Blues game where Patterson made a slick play and it was like a partial two-on-one with Sam Lafferty. And it like he wasn't able to do anything creative with it. And you know what? It's not even their fault necessarily. It's not like I'm trying to crap on Lafferty and Mikheyev because they've been good for how much money they make, what their roles are. Mikheyev, I think, can be fine as the third complimentary piece on a top six line. And and uh, Lafferty, of course, has been really effective given his salary, given the acquisition cost. Uh, but those guys just aren't built to be in that spot. And it is interesting that we were having this discussion around Pedersen needs more help and that JT Miller also needs some more consistency on the left wing. So the solution there is just give them each other. And 
it was unbelievable to watch against the Devils. Now, obviously, you have to take it with the with a bit of a grain of salt because Devils are playing on the second leg leg of a back to back, third game in four nights. But man, they scored what five goals if you were to count the Besser disallowed one early. They mm-hmm. were buzzing the the whole night, single handedly dominating, and it was just so much fun to see Pedersen with high end line mates again to actually have him with players that can make plays a ton of fun to watch. I don't know if the Canucks are deep enough with their, uh, with the second line potentially behind them to stick with that long-term, but in the, in the short term, you got to keep rolling with it. Especially when you've got that third line clicking the way that it is really is playing like a second line uh, right now. But on the topic of Patterson, obviously two goals and one assist. I did rink wide with JPAT on Saturday. And one thing that I highlighted was that the one goal that Pedersen didn't get an assist on uh, was JT Miller kind of putting in that loose puck. I highlighted it on Twitter and I need to point it out again. He should have gotten an assist because he was boxing out the defenseman and allowed Miller to get to that loose puck. And that's just a smart play by a smart player. And hey, for JT Miller too, to be going hard to the net, right? Like Pedersen needs to be playing with these guys who, you know, Look, he's making them better, obviously. It's not, I'm not saying that he's like a passenger or anything. I'm definitely not saying that. But he can't be playing with fourth liners and you expect him to do well. Look, seeing him with the lotto line was great. I just wonder how sustainable it really is when you go into, you know, matchups like the one against the Rangers. Um, You know, when you play those teams that are going to be able to keep coming at you because they have four really good lines. I wonder how long the Canucks can keep it up. They're going to do it tonight. Um, in the game against the Rangers. Uh, quickly, before we move on to the Rangers conversation, I want to highlight this. Thatcher Demko, not his best night, 840 save percentage on the night. I've been doing some thinking. And on rink-wide, I said I wanted to see Casey DeSmith start this game against the Rangers because I think DeSmith's been playing well enough that you got to keep him fresh. And while that's true, he's going to get the game against the Islanders. Demko starts tonight against the Rangers. I'm wondering now if we're starting to see some rust from Thatcher Demko, if that might be it. If it's not a... If the solution is not, okay, play him less, maybe the solution is play him more. Because even that game against the Devils, guy goes like 25 minutes without facing a shot, right? So that's not great for any goaltender, but I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering um, what Demko's workload is going to look like and what really is kind of the, I don't know, what's the root cause of him maybe not playing his best since the start of December? Yeah, I'm not sure what... um what the cause is, but you're absolutely right in the sense that, I mean, it was a nervous third period and there were points there where you're like, man, are they really going to blow this lead? But for most of the night, even with the context that the devils are a tired team, I thought that was such a smothering dominant two way performance. And really the only blemish there was that they didn't cover the weak side point on uh, on a couple of occasions on shots that Demko normally saves. So, yeah, it, you typically expect um, better from him. And it's just nice to finally have a game where you don't have the best goaltending, but the team in front plays so well that you're able to win regardless because oftentimes with this team, especially in years past, not so much this year, you have countless games where it's the opposite, where the team in front isn't playing very well and the goaltender has to bail you out. This felt like the opposite, which is kind of rare. 
Absolutely. It was like they almost got reverse PDO'd, though, in the end. Yeah. When, when New Jersey yeah. started making that push, that was what we talked about. Is It's like, wait, is this how every team that the Canucks faced in October felt? Because that was what it was going towards, right? They were dominant at 5-on-5, five five, especially the lotto line, obviously. But absolutely dominant. And then New Jersey starts to make a push based on some some shaky goaltending from Zach Demko, some bad, again, bad D-zone coverage by the fourth line of Nils yeah. Amon, uh, Sam Lafferty, and Nils Huglander. That was just, that was a trip. Uh, to go down and it looks like the Canucks are going to go with the same line saying do you have anything about the New Jersey game that you wanted to get to before we start previewing the Rangers game uh, very briefly here well just quickly on the lot of line I, I wanted to give them credit for the way they generated offense in that it wasn't just them snapping pretty passing plays off the rush obviously Patterson had the uh, rush goal from uh, from a gorgeous Besser pass but how much of their offense was originating from strong play in front of the net. Like how many, that line always had somebody there providing that net front presence, providing that screen. Pedersen had the tip, uh, tip gold Miller with, uh, with the rebound at the net front. They really earned their offense and their, their chances, their goals with hard work with strong puck retrieval. And I think that's what made them special when they first found success in 2019, 20 is yeah, they have the high end elite skill, to finish shots from distance, to make the Pedersen cross-seam pass to, to Miller. And Miller then has the finishing ability to pot that, whereas most NHL players don't from that distance. But what makes them special and, and makes them better than a lot of top lines in the NHL when they're at their best is they can create offense in so many different ways. That's why they're so difficult to stop because you can't just watch the tape on them and go, all right, you take time and space away from them on the rush, for example, and that's how you slow them, slow them down. Because if that's what you do, a lot of them go, all right, fine, we're just going to forecheck you into oblivion. Mm-hmm. We're going to forecheck you. We're going to create turnovers. And we read off of each other so well. We all have above average high, high-end hockey IQ that we're going we're gonna to connect on plays regardless. Uh, Grady, you had something for us on Demko. Yeah, I just wanted to pull up this tweet from some schmuck named uh, Grady Sass here. I went through the monthly splits of his save percentage. You can see around December, even though he's still getting the wins, save percentage definitely fallen off a bit. Now, it's unrealistic to think he's going to keep up the play we saw from the first two months, but... He's definitely regressed a little bit, but right now it it doesn't matter because they're winning. I just wonder, you know, later on in the season, if the team starts to you know take a mini step back as a whole, do we see that winning record come down? I found this interesting. And thanks for that, Grady, because Jeff and I were on rinkwide and Jeff brought up Connor Hellebuck and how well Connor Hellebuck has played as of late. And I went in and had to look Connor Hellebuck because Jeff pointed out that there were very few games where where Thatcher Demko had a save percentage over 900 in the month of December. That's how Connor Hellebuck started his season. Like Connor Hellebuck wasn't great to start the year in Winnipeg. And now with the Jets in first place, just like we all thought they'd be, uh, Connor Hellebuck's right there in the Vesna conversation. So for the first two, three months of the season, it was, yeah, well, the, the Vesna is Thatcher Demko's to lose. Now it looks like Connor Hellebuck might be the favorite. And hey, I'm just saying like, there's a bit of recency bias there, and I'm interested to see how the end of their their seasons go because right now it just feels like Hellebuck's playing the way that Demko was to start the year and that the two have basically swapped places. So this is going to be an interesting race right to the finish. 
Yeah, and I mean, look, if the, I don't think the Jets are going to finish first place in the NHL, but if they finish anywhere near the top of the West, then obviously that's going to help the the narrative. And you're right, recency bias definitely helps. And look, Leak always go through these types of stretches. I mean, Igor Shosturkin has a 908 save percentage this year. Yep. He hasn't been, even, even though the Rangers have been excellent this year, he hasn't been the Igor Shosturkin that we're used to. Andre Vasilevsky is rocking an 895 save percentage uh, since coming back from uh, his back injury. This happens. And I do like th- that the Canucks are at a point now where Demko's numbers can fall off. And yet, okay, we're talking about it now, but it's not like this massive red flag that oh the sky is falling down it's not in the context of oh my gosh the Canucks season is over because Demko's not playing well yeah they've still been winning games which I think is um a good sign with respect to this team's evolution yeah uh it's definitely like I don't want to say nitpicking but just a trend that I've noticed and I think it was Jay Pat pointed it out and that's why it intrigued me to actually look up the monthly splits um before we transition here, I just want to note on the lotto line, uh, throw this to you guys, like how great it was to be able to have Hughes and Heronic out at five on five with that line and almost like supercharge that line, basically loading them up together. It was like a power play, but at five on five, they just territorially dominated. I don't think how many times did they have the puck in their own zone? There wasn't many. So, and you know, the chances and the looks they had were like, pretty much all medium to high danger too, right? Sterling Wilson in the chat called them a cheat code. And I think he's absolutely right about that. We'll see. We'll see it tonight as well. Uh, Can we get the lines up here, Grady, in New York facing those Rangers? Just wanted to also add that great point, Grady, because the Hughes-Heronic pair for most of the season has been used in a matchup role alongside the Miller line, Hughes has barely seen, I don't want to say barely, but he hasn't seen the ice for that many shifts with Pedersen. So last game was also Pedersen finally getting to play with Hughes a ton more. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And like Grady said, it's like a power play. A uh, few people asking about the early start to today's show. We started at one o'clock because the game starts at four o'clock, first of all. But second, uh, we had John Scott, who's going to be, we pre-taped with him because uh, we had to. So rather than us just sit here in the studio for three hours, with nothing to do. We recorded with John Scott early this morning, and we're going to be playing that at the end of this episode so that we can get home and fulfill our other duties with the 4 p.m. start up. Uh, 4.30 start tomorrow in Long Island, I believe. Yes, 4.30 start tomorrow. So the show will be back normal uh, tomorrow. It'll be a 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock start from us. And honestly, I think Thursday as well. We'll keep it normal. Wednesday, I'm away. You're in with Irfan Gafar um, on Wednesday. So we'll see how that goes. I'm just kidding. You guys are going to crush it. Uh, and then Thursday is obviously another 4 p.m. start. But we will be starting that show at 2 p.m. This is just an anomaly. We started today's show at 1 p.m. It won't happen again, folks. I know a lot of people were asking about it. Some people... Uh, we're surprised that we were there. So I just wanted to uh, clarify that. And Sniper said that my explanation made sense. So with that, let's take a look at these lines that the Canucks will go with uh, at MSG on Monday, courtesy of our pal, Thomas Drentz. Keeping the lotto line together. You don't change a winning lineup. And that's what the Canucks will do. The fourth line remains intact. They don't have a ton of options. I don't think Linus Carlson's better than anybody um, on that fourth line, even though that fourth line struggled mightily last game. Uh, Nikita Zadorov returns to the Canucks lineup after being out day to day with something bothering him. Uh, Ian Cole is his partner, moves over to the right side, right side, excuse me. 
Speaking of size, you keep Susie and Myers together as a pairing. That surprises me a little bit. I, I thought we would see Susie Cole together, and I'm not trying to nit- nitpick here, um, but I kind of dove into the splits with a very similar sample size of Susie Myers as a pairing and Zadorov Myers as a pairing. They had very similar results, but in terms of quality of competition, the Zadorov Myers pairing was playing matchup minutes in a lot of their minutes, and I just found it interesting. I thought eye test analytics that I looked at backed it up as well. Um, Zadorov Myers, I thought would be the one that they go back to, but Susie will be Tyler Myers' partner at least to start tonight's game. Yeah, and there is no like true second pair, true third pair. The Zadorov Cole Susie Myers, they're going to be deployed roughly equally. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's going to be a balanced bottom four. Uh, I'm curious to see how Cole looks on the right side. Uh, I think we also got to remember in the context of okay, I think we could both agree that his play has slipped a little bit lately compared to where he was early in the season where he was such a steady rock. But also now he's getting an upgrade in terms of the caliber of partner he's playing with, going from Noah Juleson, who, to his credit, had been playing a lot better lately. But Zadorov is unquestionably an upgrade on Juleson as a partner. How does that sort of stack up against okay, now you're going to have to adjust to playing the right side. Is there going to be much of a learning curve? Cole's done it in the past, so perhaps not. Uh, but I'm curious to see uh, how that looks because this is the this is one of the first times I think we're seeing this coaching staff um, lean on four left-shot defensemen in the lineup uh, at the same time. J-Pat wrote about this, so we'll talk to him about it tomorrow when he joins us on this show. Um he wrote about, in Patterson's point this weekend, he wrote about giving Ian Cole and Tyler Myers maybe some rest by getting Noah Juleson back in the lineup. And kind of one thing he highlighted is that ultimately these games don't matter. You want Ian Cole fresh for the playoffs. You want Tyler Myers fresh for the playoffs. Really, Ian Cole is the one I really focus on there, especially since he's going to be playing the right side tonight. Uh, Noah Juleson playing well gives them that ability to at least explore that. So we'll see uh, if they do that. Thatcher Demko starts. Igor Shesterkin starts for the Rangers. Uh, let's get to our light the lamp contest brought to you by our friends over at four winds brewing. Also someone in the chat said, I can't wait for the harm ad reads on Wednesday when you're doing the ad reads, that should be fun. Am I? Well, I, unless you want to ask <laughs> earth to, it's your call, man. But uh, yeah, I think if he's guesting it, like he's guest uh, co-host, true, I think yeah. you got to do yeah. it. Do you want to try oh, this boy. one? I don't even have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Vancouver is playing New York tonight, and we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. If you nail it, you could win a $25 gift card to the Four Winds Tap Room located at 72nd and River Road in Delta. Enter by following us on social media, keep an eye out for today's show clip, and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Convo on Twitter, at CanucksArmy.com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about Four Winds Light light logger at your local liquor store or have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca predictions the tv behind me shut off um i mean it has to be something from the lot of line let's go jt i'm going at least Patterson. grady would you like to jump in andre kuzmanko wow let lachlan yell his answer lachlan what's who you got uh <laughs> Teddy Bluger. Teddy Bluger. Oh. I love it. That's a good pick. Mine's hot. That's a good point. Uh, Karan asked who is in. It is Juleson. My, or excuse me, Juleson's out. Myers is in the lineup. Uh, also, this screensaver, the new game I'm going to be playing is watching to see if the Samsung thing goes, oh, we might do it. Right in the corner? 
No, it's going to miss. It's going to miss. Get that Samsung off there. No free ads. Oh, that's right. With that, let's get to anyone else. Do you want to do the anyone else while I fix the TV, Harmon? Let's all watch Quad Struggle try to get it live in, in the show. All right, let's do it. Oh, here, here we, we go. go. Here we okay, go. This is going to be a disaster. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, folks, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's 25% off up to... $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you da- download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. Offer valid in Canada. Subject to change. Terms apply. Well done. You're going to be just fine. Jordan flu game. Clout. Clout. <laughs> Jordan flu game. I love it. Karan getting some feedback. A lot of people said ding dong. Uh, Karan said not terrible harm. So there you go. That's your starting point. Not terrible. Not terrible, and that's all we need. You just got to get it out there. You got to get it out there. Only uh, up from here. That's right. Okay, let's get to some anyone else's. And and Lachlan or Grady, if you guys have one, feel free to bring one up. Uh, mine, we're starting in the East as we must because Toronto, come on, center of the center of the hockey world. Uh, William Nylander signs a contract today. Is anyone else wondering how this affects Elias Pettersson's contract negotiations with the Canucks. We had John Scott on. We're going to get to him at the end of the episodes. You can listen to that. We talked to him about Nylander and look like John said it. If if Nylander's getting 11.5 and a full no move clause and all that stuff in his contract, Patterson's looking at 12, 12.5 at the minimum. Oh yeah. And I mean, we, we kind of knew that, but one thing that we all are kind of, we're kind of waiting for. And I know Lewis Patterson was also waiting for this was, Okay, let's see what happens when Nylander signs. Like, let's see what Nylander signs for because it's like Ray Ferraro tweeted this out today. Uh, his agent used to tell him that be happy with what you get and don't look at what the next guy gets because he's going to get more than you. And if Elias Patterson is the next guy and he's going to be playing center, he's going to get more than William Nylander. Who, yeah. for people that don't know, eight years, 11 by five. Yeah, and before this season, uh, a better statistical profile than uh, the Nylander as, um, as well. So yeah, there's... Uh, I think there's little doubt about that in my mind. A lot of feedback in the chat about your uh, about your ad read. This is interesting. People want you uh, to lose yourself in the moment a little bit. But Harmon was just, he was reading. He had to read it. I read it too. So I don't know. Be nice to Harmon when he's uh, doing the ad reads on Wednesday. You got to do the Wendy's daily face-off. I'll tell you. I'll text you how I'm doing okay, yeah. uh, on that. Okay, so... Nylander with Pedersen, we know how it affects it. It just basically means we know he's now getting at least, at the very least, $12 million, uh, annually. It's too bad. If only the Leafs' core four was as resilient in the playoffs as they were in contract negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> Holy yeah. cow. They they fight for every penny, man. <laughs> like, every penny. They just got... Like, and not just every penny. They get overpaid. I mean, Nylander's probably going to be fine, but... I like him a lot as a player, and to his credit, he is one of the only core players that has actually stepped up in the playoffs. But man, those guys get paid a ton of money and handily win all their contract negotiations only for them to fall asleep in the playoffs. Fall asleep in the playoffs. I will say the last Nylander's last contract was pretty good value at 6.9, but 
he wasn't the player he was the last few years when he signed that contract. But he also held out until yes. like he missed a big. Chunk he was of like games like final <laughs> day. It was like just yeah, it was like November thirtieth. Yeah, like December first was the deadline. So who are they? Day. Who are they punting over? Is it Tavares or is it Marner? Well, like this offseason, you mean? Could be Bertuzzi, Domi. Yeah, they're just losing they're just all their lose depth. All their depth. Yeah, <laughs> you get Bobby McMahon on your fourth line. Who the hell is Bob? <laughs> exactly. Okay, this one from Karan. Uh, do they change up the fourth line after the New Jersey game? A couple times it was poor coverage from them that led to the New Jersey goals. We touched on that a little earlier. They won't be changing the line. But like, if they do, who do you get on that line? Because I don't think Linus Carlson makes them better defensively. No. Like I don't think they have many options. Put Noah Juleson on that line. I'm not even joking. I'm not doing a bit. Put Noah Juleson on that line. <laughs> Stop. Put, why? Why not? <clears throat> You you wouldn't want Noah Juleson over like Nils Amon? Get Sam Lafferty to play center? No. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Look, does anyone else? There's no wrong answers. All right. Uh, not many anyone oh, else's. Lord. Interior. The 1 p.m. start really threw people off. Uh, Grady, you said you have one? Yeah. Uh, it's for Harm. Thank uh, God. Harm. How much will the Canucks miss Noah Juleson on the PK? I was looking at his numbers a while back. He was one of the top penalty killers in terms of uh you know scoring chances against shot shot attempts regular shots against i thought he really settled into a nice role especially on the pk you saw the amount of pucks he was eating and kind of like boxing guys out in front of the net um you know they got they got guys to kind of take over that role but will they be as good as Juleson was in the last little bit yeah, he's been a legitimate asset on uh on the pk you mentioned it how fearlessly he gets into uh, shooting lanes uh he's in agony at least once or twice every game it feels like because of uh those blocks and his underlying profile is stellar shorthanded so that's i think part of the reason why as you're ref- referencing what uh what J- jpat meant uh, mentioned it probably should be a bit of a rotating cast in terms of it shouldn't just be Juleson sitting in the press box forever until there's another injury that there should be an element of load management. And uh, if you want to give anybody else uh, a night off, like for instance, Zadorov is a great example. He probably would have continued playing if Susie wasn't ready yep. to uh, return, but because Susie's returning and Juleson's been playing well, you can say, well, okay, we have the luxury of giving Zadorov an, an extra couple of days to make sure that he's 110% healthy. So I think that would be great to implement, especially with, uh, with Ian Cole, because I look at him as an important sort of uh, X factor for the bottom four heading into the playoffs, because Mm -hmm. if he plays the way he did in the first 20 games, for instance, that this connects blue line is all of a sudden solid. I I feel a lot more confident about it compared to maybe the last month or so. It's not that he's played that badly or that he's been a liability, but we have seen slips where, okay, his foot speed gets exposed here here and there. Uh, the occasional turnovers uh, just hasn't been quite up to the level that he was early in the season. And again, you have to keep in mind, through the first 20 games or so, before the Zadorov acquisition, he was averaging a career-high ice time at the age of 34. So it's no wonder that his play did slip a little bit, uh, especially because it was a road-heavy yep. trips out east type schedule to start the year. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, Juleson should be working his way into the lineup, even if this blue line stays healthy, which 
honestly, two months ago, you, I, I could never have imagined. Yeah, that. I was yeah. going to say, like, imagine going back a few months and, you know, proposing that question out. People would look like you're crazy. This guy should be in the AHL. Let me give you my actual take. If the fourth line has another off night tonight, like another one where they're on for like two goals against or whatever, and it's like you can't play this line as a trio anymore, take Nils Amato to the lineup, dress seven defensemen. Get Noel Juleson in there. You can. I'm, I'm not suggesting putting him as fourth yeah. line center. I was joking about that. But like, if, if it's actually another off night for that fourth line as a trio and there's blown defensive coverage and it costs you in a game against the New York Rangers, like personally, I think I would have done it already. Like, I think my lineup tonight would be 70, 11 forwards, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal for a road trip. Definitely not ideal for back to backs. But hey, you got to win these games. You, you want to win these games, right? So I don't know. I think another off night, you go 70. That, that's my take on it, at least. Not bad. I don't mind it. Kind of accomplishing the same thing where you're bringing a lot of guys on the back end's ice times down. Again, you're accomplishing the opposite with the forward group. But how much better do you feel about your three lines if, okay, Andre Kuzmenko's not going? Boom, Nils Huglander's on the second line. Mikheyev's not able to finish? Okay, Huglander's on the second line. Would you be double shifting to play with presumably Lafferty and Huglander? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I would say Pia Suter, right? Because I think you want Teddy Bluger to stay on that third line and you don't want to bring up his miss but i think ps Suter's shown enough that he could yeah. be that guy to be the double shift like again when we talk about the lotto line and how long it can last the first question is okay well how long can ps Suter be as good as he was last week like he was great last week for the vancouver canucks how long can that last right he's only had one game as a second line center behind the lotto line i thought he did fine but how long can that last i don't know but if you're asking me to flesh out this idea yeah ps Suter's getting double shifted not um, not a terrible idea by any stretch. Okay, Jeremy Lee asked, what are your thoughts about the recent rumors on Jordan Greenway? This was in The Athletic uh, with Drance and Dollywall um, about Jordan Greenway, the Canucks being interested in the big Buffalo Sabres forward who I believe makes $3 million yeah. annually. Uh, that's where I start to have the hang-up. How many points does he have on the year? Because like, 10 and 28. 10 and 28, and I think a lot of people look at him as a player that could fit really well with Rick Tockett and Rick Tockett's system, but... In my mind, this is an upgrade on like PDG, and it's not quite yeah. what the Canucks need. It's it's a fine complimentary piece, but what's what's the asking price, right? Like, I don't even know if you'd be okay, based on cap space, giving up like a, a sixth round pick for this guy. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Greenway fan personally. He did have when he was in Minnesota a lot of success playing on a matchup line with Erickson Eck, and um, I believe it was Marcus Foligno, and and those are the years where I'm looking at it now. He picked up 32 points in 56 games in that shortened 2021 season. The year after, 27 points in 62 games. But last two seasons, the offense has fallen off a clip. He's been producing at like a fourth line rate. He's he's an interesting player because you watch him and you go, all right, he's six foot six. He can skate pretty well. Uh, he's an asset on the penalty kill. And yet he's one of those players that doesn't always play his size. Right, you'd expect a guy with that type of profile to be physical, to be really physical, uh, be in guys' faces. He's not that on a consistent enough basis, and inconsistent is the best way to describe mm. him. And so, when I look at Greenway, I'm, and keep in mind, he signed beyond this season, so you'd be commit, you'd be making that type of. It's not just oh, we're we're loading up some depth for uh, a playoff run. That's precious cap space for next season, and I don't know. I look at the bottom six right now. And I'm saying, 
I don't think that they're like the bottom six has been an asset for this Canucks team overall, even though the fourth line hasn't been the best of the last couple of games. Uh, and he's not good enough to be, in my opinion, a regular top six player. So I don't think it's the wisest cap investment personally. Yeah. And if you're making that trade work from a money perspective, you're probably sending Andre Kuzmenko back the other way. And I just don't think that's a, I don't think that's a trade you can win. I, I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see what the conversations are actually going to look like if it ever gets to that point or if it's there already. Um, but Corey Anderson said, why add Greenway when you can just call up Vasily Podkolzin? Vasily Podkolzin uh, with two goals and the shootout winner against the Coachella Valley Firebirds on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday uh, against the Coachella Valley. Sunday, Sunday against Coachella Valley. Um, yeah, Dave Hall had the recap over at Canucks Army. It was good. It, it was a good game for Vasily Puck Holes. And I just, I don't get the sense that they want to call him up at any point this year. Like, I think they want to give him finally some um, consistent deployment. He's learning to play the Rick Tockett system down there in Abbotsford. And I think they're just hoping that next year he's ready to go and maybe late season stint, but like he'll be a black ace. I just don't know if it's going to be like a mid season call up for Vasily Puck Holes. yeah, let him cook in Abbotsford, yeah, exactly. in my opinion, because you have to keep in mind coming up as a prospect playing in the KHL since he's been, what, 17 years old, he's never had the chance to be the man anywhere. Yep. Like, to be the go-to, you're playing top six, you're playing on the power play, you're you're a guy we're leaning on to drive offense. He's always been, think about it, in the KHL, fighting for fourth-line minutes. If I make one mistake, I'm, I'm going to get benched. I'm walking on eggshells. That's sort of been the mindset, and that's why he's been, I think the type of player that has played too safe of a style at times and hasn't had a chance to grow into his offensive potential. I, I legitimately think, and this isn't the fault of the Canucks, nor is it Pod Colson's case, but really playing in the KHL at that time, how hard he had to work to earn minutes, not being able to grow the offensive side of his game. And then even coming to Vancouver and whether it was under Travis Green, whether it was under Bruce Boudreau, Rick Tockett, just this constant, you're bouncing all over the lineup. You're desperately trying to earn the coach's trust. Just let him build his confidence down in Abbotsford, score some goals, feel good about himself, and he can be a chip for you next season when, look, you're probably going to need him to um, hit because, look, next season you may not be able to afford to, or you may not want to, pay the price to re-sign somebody like Dakota Joshua who's a pending UFA yep. in the middle of a career year and, and maybe you look at Pod Coles and this guy that can plug in and um, be a cheaper replacement in your bottom six so Sterling Wilson asks on the topic of Pod Coles is one season of being the guy enough I'd say at his age yeah it has to be has I to mean be. he's gonna turn 23 in June if you're the guy so, every year in the AHL you're Christian Willanen yeah like and Christian Lyons come on this show and says he doesn't want to be that guy, right? Christian Lyons fighting to get up to the NHL. And that, that wasn't supposed to be a shot at Willannon. I'm just saying that, like, Willannon doesn't want to be the guy in Abbotsford. He wants to be the guy in Abbotsford who then transitions that to a successful NHL career. And to this point, he hasn't been able to do that. He's continuing to work. Friend of the show. I hope that didn't come across as a shot at Willannon because it definitely wasn't supposed to be. Um, anyone else here? This one from Jeremy Lee. We'll get to this one last, and then we'll throw to John Scott after Betway, of course. Uh, this one from Jeremy Lee. Side question. How come Canucks never seem to re- re-sign coaches or players like the Habs? Coaches as players? Is that what he meant? 
No, wait. Sign players, as players as coaches. Yeah, Jeremy, you're gonna have to clarify that he one. He said, <laughs> "How come Canucks <laughs> never seem to re?" First of all, he wrote "resign," and I think he means "resign." Just forgot the hyphen. Coaches or players like the Habs. I don't know what you mean, Jeremy. I'm sorry. I read that without reading it first. I shouldn't have read that on air. Jeremy, you clarify that, uh, and I'll, I'll we'll answer that question. Hey, I mean, the Canucks are the best lineup if they resign coaches as players. I mean, exactly. That's, yeah, that's what I thought he meant. Foot. <laughs> that's what I thought he meant. I'm like, I think they do. Sedins. Coaches and players. He clarified, but I still don't get it. Okay. How come Canucks never seem to re-sign coaches and players like the Habs? I don't know. I don't know, Jeremy. I'm sorry, man. I shouldn't have read that on air. It's a little awkward. We'll allow... Either that or we're idiots. Yeah, we might just be missing something. Uh, we'll clarify that later. Uh, let's get to the Betway bet of the day brought to you by our friends over at, you guessed it, Betway. Also, Grady pointed this out on Twitter as well. Um, the Lakiramaki bet that I threw out like two weeks ago, it hit. He was the leading goal scorer. And someone tweeted at me. I, I'm sorry, I forgot that. Should have had the name ready to go. But someone tweeted at me and they were like, I won, and they put like 50 on it and returned like 1,200 or something crazy. So that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, Lachlan had something for us. Lachlan, what do you got for us? Okay, so this is based kind of on a question I answered on our Monday mailbag over at Canucks Army. Go check it out. Um, If you're, in terms of looking at the top six, there's been a lot of talk about trying to add a player to that mix. If you are the Canucks right now, are you prioritizing bringing in a center to keep the lotto line together or are you prioritizing a winger to keep Pedersen and Miller with separate line mates? I've said this in recent weeks and I'm sticking with it. Centers give me you guess. so much more flexibility. Elias Lindholm! <laughs> Bring him home, Jimmy! Bring him home! Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have uh, a preference either. I-, I think it's you're just looking for the type of top six forward that makes the most sense in terms of acquisition cost, contract, you maybe look at potential fit beyond this season. Uh, I I wouldn't have a strong preference that, oh, it has to be a winger or, oh, I really want it to be a center. I really want it to be a center. (laughs) Elias Lindholm, specifically. Okay, let's get to the Betway. Bet of the day brought to you by our friends at Betway. Pull it up. There it is. Vancouver Canucks to win on the money line. Simple. A $10 bet at plus 120 odds returns you $22 over at Betway. Must be 90 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly all right we have john scott we pre-recorded with him this morning so we're gonna throw to that you won't hear from us after so i'm gonna thank you right now folks it was a great interview stick around listen to it but we gotta get out of here uh for Harmon dial grady sass and lachlan irvin my name is david Guadrelli. thank you so much for listening to the episode of the canucks conversation here is john scott here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by John Scott, who is brought to you by our friends over at Greta, the home of our electric watch parties. Greta is Canucks Army's spot to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, and also our place to chill in the offseason. Let's get to him now, former NHL All-Star, John 
Scott, uh, the host of the Drop in the Gloves podcast, part of the Nation Network family of podcasts. John, thanks so much for taking the time today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so our listeners who have listened to our last episode know exactly why we had you on. And I gave you a little briefing as well that on our last episode, the topic of player safety in the NHL came up and I just started basically parroting what you said uh, on one of your recent episodes of Dropping the Gloves because I found it so interesting. And then I said on air, we should just have John Scott on the show. And two days later, we have you on the show. So let's start there. We've seen stuff with Nick Cousins since that episode of Dropping the Gloves came out that I'm referring to. Uh, but it was in the context of Dylan Larkin talking about how he doesn't feel safe and how he has talked to players around the league who feel the same way. Uh, your take on player safety right now in the NHL. Well, I, I think it's a moving target for a lot of players and there's no consistency and players don't know where the league stands, especially the player safety side, George Peros, where on any given night you could have the same hit in three different games and they could get three different suspensions. It could be two minute penalties in one game. It could be five in a game in another game and it could be just nothing in another game. So I think where players are coming from, they're just frustrated because there's no consistency to anything nowadays. A, a hit from behind could, like I said, be anything. And the players just want to know, okay, if I do this, I get this amount of games, I get this amount of penalties, and this is the, this is the penalty for that action. And right now, like, nobody knows. You could elbow a guy and get 10 games or get nothing. So I think the players are frustrated. And when that happens, you see the, the rats of the world, they take advantage of that because they know if they do something, well, maybe I might get one game, maybe I might get 10 games, maybe I might get jumped, and then they get a penalty. And then we, we get the advantage. So those guys are taking advantage of the situation of just the complete unknown that the NHL has kind of facilitated by not, not hammering people when they should. So with the context of all that, like how does the league address this? Because look, I, I, again, like I said, I listened to that episode of dropping the gloves and I found it really interesting when you brought up, you know, the clutching and grabbing rules and the hooking penalties and how the league kind of got that out of the game. Uh, like what's your proposition there? Well, like I said, I, I was a part of the institution of all those rules, and I hated them at first because I, I just went to the penalty box all the time in the preseason because the refs just called it like crazy. You touch a guy, you're going in for two for hooking or slashing or interference or whatever it was. It took me a couple months to get used to the new rules, and then I, I knew how to play the game. Nowadays, I think the, the NHL should just come out and say, if you're, if you're really trying to get rid of these hits. So I think that's the first thing. If you really want to get rid of these dangerous plays, the hits to the head the dangerous areas around the boards, two feet from the boards. You have to say, if you hit anybody on the numbers, regardless of how fast you're going, regardless if he's injured, you're getting a three-game suspension. Whatever the number is, but you're getting suspended. If you high-stick someone in the, in the face, regardless of the situation, you're getting a game, or you're getting a two-minute penalty, or you're getting fined. There has to be some set standard, and then you have to make sure the refs just do it across the board for the first year and say, we're just going to go all in, and we're giving everybody suspensions for this. So there has to be that kind of push for it, and there hasn't been. That's why the refs are just – every ref, ref has a different personality, but when you mention how they got rid of hooking and this and that, all the refs were mandated by Batman. He said, you're, mm. you're calling this, and you're calling it over the top, and, and we learn pretty quick because you don't want to penalize your team. So I think that's what it's going to take to get rid of these hits because right now, you guys, it's just – I have no idea. You see a hit and you go, well, maybe it's two, maybe it's five, maybe it's, you know, five games. You, you just don't know on the night in night out basis. 
over the weekend, Kevin BX on Hockey Night in Canada had a pretty epic rant on uh, Nick Cousins and some of the uh, dangerous hits he's made that have um, sort of gone undetected as far as uh, the, the Department of Player Safety. What were your thoughts on BX's take there? And is Cousins the type of uh, player where that trend continues and the league has to make an example out of it? Well, I, I, I'm buddies with Kevin. I, th- I thought he was spot on. I had the same reaction to Cousins when he hit Goodbranson. That night, I think there was so many hits, like there was a Goodbranson hit. There was another one some other way in the league where people were just hitting people from behind. So I thought it was fantastic. And players like Nick Cousins, who is a good hockey player, but he has that edge to his game. If he knows he's not going to be suspended or penalized, he's going to continue to do it. And it incentivizes his team like on the Goodbranson play no penalty even after review he gets on a shift good branson jumps him columbus gets the instigator they score in the power play and win the game so florida wins that game because good branson or uh, cousins hits good branson from behind so if i'm cousins i'm going into the rest of the season going i'm going to start burying guys from behind why wouldn't i you know what i mean and so that's what bx is talking about these rats quote unquote they see this opportunity and they take advantage of it. Like, I, I get it. He's trying to stay in the league, trying to stay relevant. And why wouldn't Nick Cousins do that? It makes no sense for him not to. You go out, you play physical, you cross that line every once in a while, and you don't get penalized. It's a win-win for him. And then you get jumped, and you turtle, and you get a power play out of it. That's great. That's fantastic. So it, there's, there's, they got rid of the instigator, and the NHL's job was to police the players and to keep them protected. And that goes back to Dylan Larkin, why he doesn't feel safe out there because they're not doing their job. I find it so interesting, especially in the context of like, you know, being a former enforcer yourself, there's not many enforcers left in the game, but we saw, at least I think from what I remember, like we saw less of this, like enforcers were a deterrent, whether people like it or not. And I know maybe, maybe not so much anymore, but enforcers were a deterrent. Like when you were, when you were on teams like that, did you see these kind of hits? No. And there was the outlier every once in a while, because you can't like, there are some players who were just psycho, like um, Zach Ronaldo would run around like crazy. And mm. so I would have to tell Zach, like constantly, I-, I will, I will kill you. Like literally I will break your face. And if that didn't work, I would say, I'll just jump one of your star players. Hence what I did in Toronto when I jumped Phil Kessel. So I told their tough guy, I said, if you want to fight, if you're going to mess around, you're not going to fight me. I'm, I'm going to go after one of your star guys. And I, ha- you know, you, you have to do something to kind of dissuade that, but the, the toughness factor definitely plays a part in this. I, I played with star players, whether it's the Thomas Vanix or the Gabricks or the Taves or the Jumbo Thorntons, they tell me after the season, I loved playing with you because I had so much more free ice. I had so much more room out there and I know it's effective. I know I didn't get many fights. It's because nobody wanted to fight me and nobody would hit. And I bring up Chris Neal sometimes because when we would play Ottawa, Neal would average like 10 hits a game throughout the season. And then we would play Ottawa and he would get maybe one. It's because he was scared I was going to beat his doors off. And he's a tough kid. But there's the fear factor and it's real and everybody's human. And I would change my game if I knew I was going into Edmonton and Steve McIntyre was there. I go, okay, maybe I don't finish that check. I don't want to fight Steve McIntyre. And I was 6'8", six, six, 270 pounds. So imagine if you're 200 pounds, six foot, and you have someone breathing down your neck who could literally end your career or if not season, you know what I mean? So it it does work, you guys. And I know people, oh, well, there'd still be people running around. Maybe not as much, not nearly as much.
a fighter of a smaller stature in Vancouver, who's obviously a legend in this town. Uh, what do you remember about Rick Rippin and his fighting style, uh, switching hands, his boxing style, where, you know, he's he, like, there's that fight against Hal Gill. I'm sure you've seen it where he's switching mm-hmm. hands. He's blocking. Like, what do you remember about Rick Rippin? Played against Ripper many times. Just one of those guys who was a natural talent at fighting. I think he was a gold gloves boxer and had every gift for fighting on the ice the, the mentality for it the skills to do it his only downside if you could call it that was his size like i he was just too small to mess the big guys but he was a killer man i, I remember playing him quite a bit when i was in minnesota and i was always nervous he would, if he would ask me to fight he never did because i weighed like 100 pounds more than he did and rightfully so i was way out of his weight class but he was he was one of those guys who if he caught you with one you knew it was going to sting but yeah he was he was one of the best. He wasn't even a middleweight. He was a lightweight. He was always fighting up in his weight class, and that guy could shock him, man, lefts and rights, and he just had, had a forever engine. He would never stop. Shifting gears a little bit to the Canucks, they've had a wonderful season so far. Watching them, what's the biggest surprise for you in terms of why they've perhaps been able to find so much success? Uh, there's a couple things. Obviously, Thatcher Demko finding his game. I think that's helped him out them out hugely. He was I don't know what happened to him last year. If he was injured or just not feeling it, he's a completely different goaltender this year to last. Um, Elias Pettersson, I, I hated him his first few years. I know he was putting up points. I didn't think he had that leadership quality. I didn't really like how he went about his first contract situation. He's like, I'll wait and see. Maybe if we get some good players, then I'll sign. That doesn't scream leadership to me. All of a sudden, he he's completely changed my perspective on him. I think he's got everything and more. He, he's the guy I wanted my team leading my team. I think he's, he's done well kind of galvanizing that group. And then Quinn Hughes, I think he's accepted the challenge of being a one, a defenseman and not just a one dimension offensive guy. And when your top three players do that and they have, are having all outstanding years and, and taking criticism. And instead of just, you know, saying, no, 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 we're fine. We're fine. They accept it. And then they learn from it and then they get better. I like that. And then you add all these other pieces at JT Miller's Connor Garland's having a pretty good season. You have the Kuzmenko's and then your defense is vastly improved. Getting, getting rid of OEL helped. He was a liability back there and Mizey and bringing in, who was the trade you got from Detroit? Um, you've got a Ronick. first rounder for him. He's been fantastic. Everybody yep. thought that trade was crazy. First rounder for Ronick, like nuts. And he's been playing great. So everything's worked out great for the Canucks this year. What do you think their ceiling is? We've we've heard guys like Darren Drager call them a cup contender, and we, you know we've kind of we've kind of come to the conclusion they're just below that, but maybe they're close. What's your perspective on this Canucks team ceiling? Uh, well, it, again, it's still early. We're forty games in. The, the, the cup is their ceiling right now. Like they're right there. I think they're top five, six in the league. They're. They, I think they need to add another piece to be in the conversation with the Vegas Golden Knights in the West Conference, but. I firmly believe they'll be in the Western Conference Finals if, if the way this keeps going. Winnipeg will be there. Edmonton's getting better. But Vancouver, what what is not to like about this lineup? They have two solid first lines. Their defense is solid, and they have Thatcher Demko. I think if they add another piece, I don't know how the depth is, maybe a penalty-killing guy who can go out there and win face-offs when you need him to. So they, it's it's it has to be the cup, right? Like, what else is it when you have that roster and you're spending this much money? It has to – it has to be a cup appearance. Yeah, that's got to be your goal. Absolutely. Uh, switching gears, speaking of cup contenders, those Toronto Maple Leafs uh, go out and sign William Nylander. Your thoughts on that deal that was just signed this morning? 
Well, we were joking before we came on. It's like I, I, when they signed the deal, I just was going through my head. Usually teams that do this, they're forced to do it because they have multiple Stanley Cups under their belt. So it's like we got to keep the core together. We have to. These guys have been together for seven years, and they have one round win. That's it, one. And they're re-upping these guys. And next year they have $52 million allotted to their forwards, and they still have to sign like six guys. And then you have Morgan Riley on the back end, and you still don't have a goaltender. I don't know. Like maybe this makes sense in two years when Johnny T leaves and you free up some of that money, but next year they're going to be, I don't know how you round out this roster next year. That's going to be the thing. You're going to lose a lot of players on this team. You're not bringing back Bertuzzi or Domi. There's no way you're bringing back Brody or any of those guys. So it's just, I get it. Willie's a great player. 11 and a half. It's a lot. That's a lot. Like he's top five in the league now. Like he's, in the same conversation as McDavid and Posternock and those guys, do you think he's that good? I don't. I think he's good. But I don't think he's that good, you guys. You know, uh, I, I want to ask you with the context of Elias Pettersson then. Like, Elias Pettersson is kind of in that same conversation because we expect Elias Pettersson is probably going to sign for around the same that William Nylander signed for. Like, where's he in that conversation? I think he goes for more than 11 and a half. When you, when you figure even just the recent history, Willie Nylander, his, his career high is 87. Pedersen had 102 last year. This year he's going to get 100 again. So he's, you think he's signing for 11 and a half, you guys, you're, you're dreaming. He's getting 12 and a half, I think. So yeah. he's, he's a young kid. He was a high draft pick by the Canucks and he's a big dude. I think his number is 12, if not higher for eight years. Yeah. And do the Canucks pay that? They have to. So I, I think he's a proven stud and you have to keep this guy. So wouldn't surprise me if he gets 12 and a half. Recently, the first picks for the NHL all-star game were announced. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, Seattle posted a, a video. <laughs> I don't know if you saw um, Dave Haxtell was um, giving Oliver Bjorkstrand the news that he'd, he'd be Seattle's representative and that he'd have to cancel oh, yeah. his family plans. And <laughs> it's pretty interesting because uh, Bjorkstrand was just like, Oh, okay. didn't seem thrilled about uh, going to Toronto. Uh, how do you think most players feel about going to the all-star game? Is it a bit of a drag in that you miss out on a vacation? Do players, because you're all together, sort of make the most out of that weekend? Um, uh, how do you think star players feel about all- all-star weekend? Well, to, I, I would figure you'd be excited if it's your first or second or third times. Like Ovi has just declined. Like he just said, I'm not going. I don't care how many votes I get, but it, it, it becomes – old after a while for these star guys i was around a few who just didn't want to go but it's listen i I don't know if you guys know i was an all-star for one year (laughs) i i loved it i thought it was fantastic and it is an honor like not a lot lot of guys to go and i i I work for the hawks now a little bit i know Connor bedard was crazy you know surprised and happy that he got voted in or elected and not even voted so it's an honor players like it i i just think the guys who have gone 10 times just been there done that and they want to go spend some time with their family because the season is a grind you don't get many breaks and to have three especially now it's four days so you have a long break with your family you can go and relax i think they'd rather do that than go do all the cameras and all the media stuff at the all-star game fair enough fair enough john thanks so much for doing this we really appreciate your time today and uh yeah plug anything you want people gotta go check out obviously dropping the gloves but anything else you're working on that you want the people to check out nope (laughs) <laughs> nothing right on. i'm so right i don't like plugging myself you guys just you're doing a great job keep watching canucks conversation it's fantastic yeah. <laughs> spring is that you warmer temps mean new albert styles 
Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. There you go. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. All right, fellas. We'll see ya. Canucks conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.